I had a friend recently tell me, as I was dealing with one of these issues, big level issues in my own life, like, ugh, why do I have to deal with this right now? It's hard. And she said, but you get to. We get to be Christians right now. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Dang. Um, like that, but what a mind shift of saying, okay, God, you of any time in history that you chose to put my soul on this planet, it's now. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to rise to the occasion. Welcome to the Our Father Stories podcast, where we share stories of ordinary people experiencing the kingdom of God in everyday life. My name is Nate Paragoy. I'm one of the pastors here at Our Father Lutheran Church in South Denver, and this podcast is a part of our mission. It's who we are, helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. To my left is my good friend and my co-host, Pastor Micah Steiner. How you doing, buddy? Man, Nate, I'm so good right now. You want to know why? I would love to know why. Because our lead pastor, who you could say is our boss, is going on sabbatical next week. He's gone for three months. And you know what they say? While the cat's away, the mice, mice will play. play. Yeah, we should like make a podcast like every week while he's gone. Yes, we should. With all this free time we're going to not have. <laughs> Uh, we're excited today to welcome our friend. I guess we can call her a friend. We just hung out for 45 minutes to an hour. She's awesome. Definitely connected right when she walked in the door. Alexandra Kukendall. She is an author. She is a podcaster herself. And she's going to be live in the building on May 21st, 2023, depending on when you're listening to this, to share with us, as she's doing today in the podcast, how we can very practically love and serve our neighbors and build some community with them. So this episode is released about a week before she'll be with us. And uh, even if you're listening to it after the 21st of May, uh, there's a lot of great stuff in here about how to live uh, out your faith and connect with people who are like you and not like you and have the posture of somebody who trusts that God's working through you. Wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. So we hope this will be a blessing to you as you live God's mission today. Enjoy. Well, Alex, you are an accomplished author. You, you're a famous podcaster, as we understand it. So famous. Um, yeah. By yeah. that, you mean more famous than us <laughs> in our four episodes or something? Uh, we are interested in, though, we, we're talking about your book, Loving My Actual Neighbor. And would you just share with us how did that get started? What prompted it? And why'd you write it? Yeah. Well, you know, I like to call myself a kitchen anthropologist which means I stand in my kitchen a lot and I look out at the world and I try to make sense of it. And I try to ask culturally, what's going on? How do I live out my faith? How am I a person that follows Christ? How am I a peacemaker given what's happening outside my kitchen window? And I just saw online a lot. This was right after the 2016 election. I saw people missing each other. Like they were trying to have conversations, trying to connect. And I know so many faithful Christian people who want to love their neighbors well, but walls were starting to go up and people were missing each other. And I thought, okay, we maybe need to go back to some basics of how. 
How do we care for each other? How do we live in a community where people don't always think like us and talk like us and live like us? How do we do that well? Because the trend I'm seeing is that people are starting to tribe up more than I think God is calling us to. And that was in 2016. (laughs) So here we are. And I don't think things have gotten better. Um, So I still want to be talking about these things. But that was kind of what prompted me because I knew the heartbeat was there of desire. But sometimes people need to be told how. And so I wanted to write a book about how. Yeah, because I would say it's more practical in nature, right, mm-hmm. than theological. I think you say that in your in your introduction. Yeah. Um, I, I see the same thing. So it's 2023. We just went through this global pandemic. I think the world has changed more in five years than in 25, mm-hmm. just in terms of how we talk to each other, what we value, things like that. As a Christian, uh, you're, you're married, you've got kids, you're a Christian woman. Uh, how does all that play into the way in which you neighbor? You know, mm-hmm. you're, 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 I know we're building community, but specifically, how does Jesus play a part in that? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't come naturally to me. I, we were talking before that I'm an introvert, and I work from home, and my kids all go to school within a mile of our home. My world can get really small really fast, mm. except for online. That's a whole nother beast, right? But I can live a life where I interact with a very selective, small group of people. And so I have to be intentional with some self-talk and say, tell myself, stop, this is an opportunity. I could connect with this person. So if I'm at the grocery store or um, here's an example. I was at the grocery store with two of my girls recently and our checker, Uh, we were at Walmart, was uh, wearing her Walmart vest, but it was open and I could see the t-shirt underneath was a Snoopy and it said, today is my birthday. And I thought, and, and she looked quite senior. And so I said, is today your birthday? Cause I thought she's wearing that shirt because she wants someone to ask her or she got it for free. One of the two, (laughs) but I'm just going to go with it. Is today your birthday? Yes, it's my birthday okay, do you want to tell us how old you are? Because she, I mean, she looked older to be working. And she said, I'm 83. Wow. Well, then she told me, um, then I asked her a follow-up question, how are you going to celebrate today? And she said, well, I already had dialysis. So then I found out her dialysis schedule. I found out that she goes at 5.30 in the morning and that she's there for two hours, three times a week. And then she has an hour break to take the bus to get to Walmart. And her, her world opened up to me because I stopped to notice. I asked a few questions. They weren't even open-ended questions. Is it your birthday? That's a yes or no question. Yeah. And, and then I took the time to stop. And I think for a lot of us, we are in such a rush that we don't pause long enough to notice those details where we can make a connection and then let the person tell us yeah. about themselves. We we just want to say, oh, it's your birthday. Great. Happy birthday. See ya. But she showed me her infusion spot. Oh, she showed oh, me. Wow. I mean, it, it became a whole thing yeah. because I asked a couple of questions. And I can do that even within my small one mile radius of my home world. The goal is maybe to do that more, to maybe be outside more of my own cocoon. 
but even for those of us that live pretty s- small lives, it is still possible. I'm reading a book right now called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh-huh. By you know John Mark Comer? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've been blown away. The context of that is about kind of our upward relationship with Jesus and how our speed really uh, undermines our ability to listen and slow down and read. We're talking about speed in the context of out and our relationship with our neighbors because it's easy to go fast. Yeah. And I've had people say, um, Jesus walked. That was the speed of life that he lived at five miles an hour. Huh, yeah, that's cool. And to think, okay, this is how God came and how he lived. And if we're to emulate him, it's to be a pedestrian, essentially. Hmm. And we live at high-speed internet speeds. Hmm. And so how do I slow down? I really think that's a huge part of being a good neighbor is simply slowing our lives. That's cool. Can I tell a quick story? Yeah. Uh, That happened to me just this morning. Okay. Uh, So right before we recorded this episode, we were, uh, my wife Jackie and I were at our youngest son Jude's kindergarten open house for next fall. And I was like looking at my clock or my watch, knowing that like we had to be over here, and I was didn't want to talk to other parents, <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, it's, you know, because we're all just kind of standing around for twenty minutes in the lobby of the school because it was kind of wrapping up, but it wasn't done yet. And all I wanted to do was get out of there. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And then I realized that I was coming over here to record this <laughs> and talk about loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I was too busy. Yeah. yeah, it really is. I think it's the. It's why John Mark Comer's book is so impactful to people mm-hmm. because all of us can relate. Really, no matter what socioeconomic class you're in, what community you live in, yeah. if you live in the United States, you're living a fast life. Well, let's let's transition then uh, to slow down. Are there any practices that you put in place to, to help you with that, to slow down and, and be neighborly? Yeah. So, you know, I talk about seven really big practices in the book, and the first... I think is our starting place, which is holding a posture of humility, because to me, that means it's just remembering over and over. And again, this is the self-talk that has to happen because it doesn't come to me naturally to remember that God is God and I am not. Um, And that if I carry that posture with me into every interaction, things are going to be different than if I take my own sinful nature of I am the center of the world and the world revolves around me, that's my natural bent as a human. I mean, that's how we're wired. And so when I consciously try to change my mindset and remember God is in charge and the world does not revolve around me, it doesn't revolve around my neighbor either. It revolves around his glory. Hmm. Then things just go better. They just go better. But also I am able to see my neighbors in a, with a lens that feels richer and more incredible and more beautiful. And I'm not putting those walls up as quickly. Yeah. Um, And I do think one practice that's really helpful is in the, as far as slowing down, is to sit in silence and just uh, be silent for five minutes a day. And when we are silent, I think then we have the chance to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And so when we have the chance for that to happen in our silence, we're in that practice and we're hearing the Holy Spirit. When we go into a conversation, 
that's hard or awkward. We have access to the Holy Spirit and we're practiced at hearing how the Spirit is speaking to us and leading us in that moment of interaction. That's good, yeah. So those spiritual practices are meant to strengthen us as we go into the world. And so for me, that silence has been really a beautiful practice. Okay. Uh, do you connect that with your Bible study time, uh, your pr prayer time? Uh, is it like, or I should say it this way: Is it a rhythm? Mm -hmm. Like every every morning, I do it, or at night, or. So I committed this, um, I guess this winter, um, speaking to an older woman at my church. Uh, I was talking about praying for my kids, and I want to be more intentional about praying for the Holy Spirit and to spark things in my kids that I want to see right? That's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. But as a mom, am I really inviting the Holy Spirit in? I was feeling a little convicted in that. Um, so my commitment to myself, and I am not 100%, I'll just say, but I'm moving in a better direction than I was three months ago, that uh, by the end of my first cup of coffee, I would pray for the Holy Spirit to work in each one of my children, like individually for each child. And, and then that spills into my husband. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, him too. <laughs> um, and, but to have that marker, that practice, because I knew, she said, what is something you know you're going to do every day? I said, I am going to have that first cup of coffee. There is no question. I am not operating in my day without a cup of coffee. And so I thought, okay, there's my obvious answer because it's this idea of habit stacking. If you know you're going to brush your teeth every morning, then maybe that's the time you pray for your neighbor because you know, and then you associate, or if you're driving in the car, um, you know, I had a practice for a while with my kids. If we heard sirens while we were driving, we would pray for whoever hmm. was on the receiving end of those sirens and, and for the people who were driving in that vehicle. So if you associate with something you're already doing, that can help get that practice going. Cool. Yeah. I think we must read a lot of the same similar books. <laughs> yeah. When you said habit stacking, I was like, let's talk about that. Uh, how simple to have something so like a physical, tangible object that you're holding in your hand to, to anchor that practice. That's really great. Mm -hmm. But to answer you as far as silence, I mean, that's actively me doing the talking. I want to sit and like, God speak to me. Yeah. And I can't if I'm constantly, here's my my checklist of things I would like you to accomplish for me today, Lord, thank you, um, that I need to stop. And so that is a practice within that time. But for sure, early morning is a great time for me to do it. It's also when I do my workout. Like These are the things that I know I want to do today. If I do them at the start of the day, then I know I've started well. Yeah. There's also research, and Nate knows this, that if you work out first thing in the morning, you create joy naturally. There's some chemical that creates joy, and then you get to experience it all day mm -hmm. long. I share this on every podcast that we do. <laughs> so work out <laughs> early in the morning. I'm still waiting for you to send me that article that you promised it's, it's from, four it's, episodes ago. I, I'll send it to you. Don't yeah, worry. Okay. Uh, so you talk a lot in your book, or it's actually at the end of every chapter, uh, a concept that you call Saturday living. I think that's connected a little bit with what we've talked about. Could you mm -hmm. tell, tell us more about that? Yeah. Well, when I think about what it means to be human, to be a soul living on this earth, uh, we are tethered to the reality of this world. God decided to put us into physical bodies, and they have limitations. We have to sleep, we age, we die, our souls live on. 
So to be tethered to the world is a very physical, tactile experience. And we live in a broken world. And so we cannot escape the pain, the hurt, the disease that comes with sin entering into humanity's story. That's a reality. As Christians, we're also tethered to the good news, the hope that God can redeem all things, that he has come to show his love for us and he will return. So as a woman of faith, as a kitchen anthropologist, as I stand in my kitchen, I hold those tensions, right? I'm tethered to the reality of pain in the world, and I'm tethered to the hope in Christ. My neighbors are too. And to stand with them in that tethering is to love them well. So that means meeting their physical needs, recognizing their pain, recognizing injustice that has happened in the world and continues to happen, and to fight against it. And perhaps, if they are not also people of faith, to point them toward the macro story of humanity. Mm. And, and so I think of it in terms of Easter weekend and the first followers of Christ when Good Friday happened, they didn't call it Good Friday, I'm sure. But um, when Christ died on the cross, they didn't have the benefit of the end of the story. They didn't know the resurrection was coming. So it, was, it embodies the grief and the despair of humanity. And then as Christians, we, you know, we wait on Saturday, and then Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. Well, life on earth is in that Saturday space where we know that the hope is coming, but we're tethered to the truth that life is also very, very hard. Yeah. I really don't like the t-shirt, life is good, because life can be really horrific yeah. for people. But Christ is good. God is good. Hope is good. And so being tethered to both of those, to me, is what Saturday living is about. That's cool. The, the tension therein, mm -hmm. which is interesting because we all have neighbors that are far from Jesus. And I think that they have a certain perception about Christians, at least the ones that I know, that Christians are supposed to have it all together, that uh, maybe if you become a Christian, something good's going to happen to you, like God's going to give you this anointment or blessing. Um, and it's interesting to, to have conversations when they find out that uh, I, I cry, um, that I, I really hate when sin happens and, and somebody's been, been impacted by sin, that it breaks my heart. Uh, and that life is not as perfect as they perhaps thought it was supposed to be for me. Uh, and they wrestle with that because they experience the same thing, that on this side of the planet, it, it does stink sometimes. And if you're not spending time with your neighbors, you're, you're never going to get a chance to point them to a greater hope outside of their experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that, that's kind of how I took your Saturday living is like, uh, I'm working on Friday, so I'm not hanging out with my neighbors. Sunday, I'm going to be personally at church. But Saturday is, is not only the concept of the tether, I like how you said that, but physically, like being with your neighbors, taking that time in the hope that we can share something greater than just what we're going to have cook for dinner in the smoker that night or something, you know? Right, because Saturday, in a sense, is the day that we are with our neighbors, right? I'm on the soccer sidelines. Um, we're out mowing the lawn. It's those places of natural bumping up with people, too, where life happens. And that's... I think what I want to encourage people in as well, that you don't have to have this 12-point strategy on how you're going to go out into the world and love your neighbors. Just look at who's standing next to you at the kindergarten welcome time. You know, like yeah. who's 
already in your circle. And by neighbor, I use that word loosely. It could be the people who live right next door to you or above you, below you, if you're in an apartment building. Um, But it could be the person in the cubicle next to you. It could be the mom in the carpool line. It could be the checker at Walmart, right? It's the people that you naturally bump up against that are a gift because you get to be doing life at the same time in the same place. Like what an incredible gift. We as Christians right now, I think can get in the mode, I can, I'll speak for myself, of dang, the world is messed up right now. Like why, how are we supposed to live out our faith now? Now is really hard for this reason and this reason and this reason. And I had a friend recently tell me, as I was dealing with one of these issues, big level issues in my own life, like, ugh, why do I have to deal with this right now? It's hard. And she said, but you get to. We get to be Christians right now. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Um, like that, but what a mind shift yeah. of saying, okay, God, you of any time in history that you chose to put my soul on this planet, it's now. I'm going to go with it. Yeah. I'm going to rise to the occasion. We talk all the time here that that this is this is an incredible opportunity to to share Jesus with this culture because it's so far from him. Mm-hmm. And to me it looks exact it looks more like first century Rome when Jesus entered this world for the first time as a human than any time in history. So the forget about being a Christian nation, those days are gone. Uh, and as people go further and further away from Jesus, the more they need him, the greater opportunity we have to point them to real life. So yeah, I, it, the attitude is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it, I will. I just want to say over and over, I have to work at it. Yeah, this doesn't come mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah. It's a decision, after decision after decision. Yeah, it's funny when I was standing in the lobby uh, with my wife Jackie, uh, I had the sense like wondering at all the other parents like someday these are going to be our friends. Yeah. Jude's going to make friends in kindergarten and he's going to start hanging out with new buddies and uh, we're going to have these people in our kitchen someday. I wonder if it's going to be them or it's going to be them. And it's probably going to be people that are going to surprise me, not the people that I would be first inclined to be drawn to or something like that, that God has a way of doing that. So when you were talking about the people we naturally bump into, uh, I was really kind of really resonating with that. Thanks. Because some of them are passing relationships. We use that term sometimes around here at Walmart. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe you'll, you'll never see that person mm-hmm. again. Some of them are more permanent relationships mm-hmm. and that are there all the time. And I think that's a good distinction because we're not going to have the same level of intimacy with everyone. And yet at the same time, every relationship starts with a first meeting. So just like you were saying, you know, I don't know who of these people are going to be. I mean, I think about the friends that I have that I have known for 15 years because my oldest daughter started in kindergarten with their kids, and now our kids are all in college. Um, And how much of life we've lived together because our kids became friends, then we became friends. And it is amazing. It's incredible that God would allow us to know these incredible people. And so... So that triggers for me something that I think we should also say, uh, when we're talking about loving your neighbor, I think we need to be very careful that this is not, we're not checking off the box of morality that we did something good. 
um, the, the goal should be as a Christian, I think, the Great Commission, tell people about Jesus, baptize, but we also bless people by being their friends. And so even if they never come to a point of, of coming to faith or you know, receiving Jesus, whatever language you're comfortable using, uh, we've blessed them through friendship and through relationship. So I, uh, do, you, do you talk about that at all in your book? I can't mm-hmm. remember. I do talk about kind of, so what about sharing faith, right? Like, yeah. and, and then do I, all of a sudden we've had this really normal relationship and now as the Christian, I'm like, oh, but I've never mentioned Jesus. So now it's, I'm going to insert it into the conversation <laughs> and it's going to get really weird. So I think to give yourself freedom to let it be natural. Sometimes I don't think it's natural to bring it up. Yeah. I don't know the person well enough. It's the level of intimacy. Um, but also it would feel forced. Yeah. Other times, and it sometimes is based on the depth of pain that we're talking about in a person's life, it is re- it's, feels more natural to me to say, um, I'm going to pray for you. Because I am, I am really yeah. honestly, and and would you like me to pray for you right now? I would, I would say I would do that with a few, very few select non-Christian friends yeah. that I know would be open to it and wouldn't be offended by it. Uh, but that's because we've had years of relationship right. and they trust me. Uh, but in general, I I try to talk like I would with anybody else. And, you know, sometimes I throw, if because if I'm really thinking it, God willing, I'll be there tomorrow. But, you know, there are ways to incorporate it. And I think parenting is a really great place for that when you're talking parent to parent, where you can say, you know, I, I prayed this for my child. So people can see how you're actively incorporating your faith hmm. or... Um, they know you go to church on Sunday as a family, but then to, I think, make it more tangible and real and say, but this is how my faith helps me in this very practical pain point that I'm dealing with. It's Mm. not just that we go to church on Sunday or pray before dinner, and maybe you've experienced that if you've been at our house at dinner time, but it's that when I'm grieving someone getting terminal diagnosis, that prayer is where I go. Yeah, And it's just, I think in parenting too, you're living your faith in front of people in a way that is accessible and hopefully freedom offering. So we're talking about loving our neighbors. What about ones who are maybe more difficult to love? You, you have a whole chapter in your book on the awkward relationships and the awkward connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, a story about someone, a neighbor named Betty, another one named Tiger. Uh, tell us more about that. How do we love the awkward? Yeah, well, so I think there's any moment can be awkward. Um, and this is where for faithful people who say, I want to do this well, This is the one practice that I think if you adopt it, it will become part of your rhythm to love your neighbors. But if you can't do this practice, you're going to hit a point where you only go so deep. So by standing in the awkward, what I mean by that is we don't leave when things get weird. So you say something and immediately you think, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have said it that way, or I shouldn't have brought that up. Or somebody um, cuts you off in line 
and you get frustrated and then you see who it is and they see that <laughs> you see who it is, you know, and the next time you see them, you, you know, in the school pickup line or whatever it is, interacting with other people is an awkward event. Imperfect people bumping up with other imperfect people. And so to say to somebody, I am more willing to be uncomfortable than not, the relationship matters more to me than my own comfort, that is saying you matter to me. And if we think about it, again, from like a macro humanity perspective, that's what Christ did. He said, my discomfort um, is less important than my relationship with mm. you. I am willing to be uncomfortable on your behalf. And so the reality is, if we think a moment is awkward, probably the other person does too, or at least they know we're uncomfortable. They might be fine with it. Maybe they wanted to make it awkward. But we are sending a message when they know that it's awkward for us that we want to be in relationship with them. So I think part of it is also taking on the role of bridge builder. So helping other people who are in conflict come together. And there's a story in the book um, about Robbie who works for Dry Bones Denver and they do an outreach to kids who live on the streets in Denver and they were doing a coffee hour for teenagers to go every Thursday night or something. I don't remember what night of the week it was. So he had arranged with the coffee house owner, we're going to have this group of kids. And these are, these are kids who live on the streets. So imagine how they look, smell, sound. And, and the coffee house owner agreed. So Robbie was inviting some kids to come. And one of them said, there's no way I could go back there. And he said, why? Tell me more. And he said, well, I got in a fight with the owner. He kicked me out and I spit on his window. I would never show my face there again, essentially. And Robbie said, let me talk to him. So Robbie went back to the owner and said, okay, there was this kid. He spit on your window. And the guy was like, yeah, I remember that. And um, he said he would like to come to our Thursday night gathering, but he doesn't think you would let him. Can I bring him back to have a conversation with you? And and Robbie coached this young man and said, I think you need to apologize. And if you want the opportunity to be back in his space. So he brought the young man in and it was awkward, but not for long. Like it just took him saying, I'm sorry, I spit on your window. And the coffee shop owner was gracious and said, okay, let's try again. So it was awkward for a minute, but then things kind of moved forward. Maybe there was a lingering awkwardness for a while, but sometimes we don't have those conversations because we have built them up in our minds that I could never, she would never. And so we need to go back always to be people asking for forgiveness if we need to be asking for forgiveness. But I think we can also be brokers of that to say, you know, I bet, I bet he'd let you come back again if you apologized. Would you be willing to apologize? Well, yeah, but I don't think he'd let me. And yeah. kind of being that broker. I like that. Brokers of the awkward. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably, I probably do that naturally anyways. I am an awkward person and gets myself, get myself in awkward situations. But now I have a title for it. So that's, that's helpful. What advice do you have for introverts? You're an introvert? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say we're not talking about really being an extrovert. We're talking about noticing people and calling out some details that are connection points. And introverts are really good at this. We're observers. 
So we can observe, oh, um, if you're helping in kindergarten, for example, that kid really likes brownies. So I'm going to remember that the next time I bring snacks and I have a plate of cookies, some of them are brownies, I'm going to make sure he gets a brownie. That's not an extroverted act. It's a noticing and caring for somebody in a way that's very tangible for them. Now, that's a very small thing, but um, I think introverts need the freedom to love people in small circles, and that's okay. It's okay to love people within small circles, and you actually might even be better at the noticing and the depth and even the awkward um, that you're okay with silence. And that's why I think the practices in the book build on each other because the practice before standing in the awkward is being quiet to listen. And sometimes that means allowing for there to be quiet times in a conversation. Introverts are better at that, at letting there be silence. When there's silence, someone else can be given permission to keep talking. Mm -hmm. Extroverts sometimes need to fill up the space with um, noise because they get uncomfortable with the silence. So I would say lean into it. Lean into the strengths that um, it comes with. And sometimes extroverts are attracted to other extroverts. You know, they, they like the, the fun, the flash, um, the energy, and, and the introverts in the room can then minister to the other introverts. <laughs> Have you seen that meme? There's a famous meme. It's, it's uh, introverts unite. And then it's then on the bottom it says uh, quietly by yourself in your own room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if loving my actual neighbor is something that Jesus told us to do, and if it's a command, mm -hmm. what would you say, Alex, to somebody who grew up in the church who views it as a should, mm -hmm. rather than an outpouring and of love that overflows from who I already am and how we are already connected in this broken world? Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in the church, and so sometimes for me, I feel like I should talk about Jesus at some time in my relationship with this neighbor mm, or somebody, mm -hmm. or person I know, neighbor in the general sense. How do you deal with the shoulds that we have as Christian people mm -hmm. about loving our neighbors as Christians? Well, we all have probably some untangling we have to do, right? I didn't grow up in the church, so I have some untangling that's connected to that, um, but we all have preconceived ideas of how we should operate in the world. And that's where getting back to that posture of humility comes back to say, Lord, show me. Show me where I'm believing something about how I'm supposed to operate in the world that is untrue. Show me a place where maybe I've contributed to hurt unknowingly, that there have been unintentional consequences to my good intentions, which, oh my Lord, there, we could do a whole episode on that as the church, right? That we, as well-meaning people, want to go straight into solving people's problems and helping them out of a goodwill. And they're standing there saying, this is my life, and thanks, but I didn't ask for this. You know, there's, there's that whole element of loving our neighbor. So I think it's, um, there's a, there could be a lot there to, with humility, say, show me. And if showing me is bringing me people who have lived different experiences that I can learn from, help me to be in a posture of listening. If there are resources that I should be using other than scripture, because I think the Bible is a great place to start in a handbook on how to live life. But 
as far as this time in this moment, if there are resources that can help me understand what it is to be my neighbor. And sometimes I think it could be where you get your news. It could be the voices you're listening to, the podcasts you're listening to. Like who's helping me process through the information of today that I'm getting? Um, I think those can be some starting places. And then also asking myself with every relationship, where is the mutuality here? Am I seeing this person as a check mark? Like, okay, I did my good Christian duty by making this person dinner. Check, done, been a good neighbor. Or am I trying to enter into relation, a relationship with this person and asking, how are they a blessing to me as well? There's that mutuality because when we do that, we recognize I am a person made in God's image, as is this person. Whether they believe in Christ or not, they are made in God's image, which means I can somehow find God's fingerprints here. How am I learning more about who God is? Because this person is standing in front of me. And that mutuality, I think, is how we move away from Sometimes, I will speak for myself, thinking somebody is someone we are supposed to love because it's good for them. <laughs> yeah, and, and that somehow they um, don't have something to offer us. You know, we live in a school community where I don't know who the Christians are. It's, we don't live in, you know, our kids go to public schools. And sometimes I assume I'm the only Christian in the room. And then I find out that I'm not. And I'm like, okay, there's my pride all over again. Or I think um, I, I approach somebody because I know one detail of their life. And this is where I think we can get really stuck is we know a little bit of information, which is helpful. It paints a picture of part of somebody's life, but it doesn't paint the whole picture. And so we let that little bit of information be the definition of who they are. And that's where the walls can start to build up because if we don't like that part of them, then we say, oh, they're for sure different than we are. But it may just be that that difference is the tip of this rich person that everything else we may have in common. And even if we don't, like that's not the goal to be with people who have things in common with us. Even if we have very little in common, we always have something in common, but if we have very little in common, it's still a way for me to learn more about how God is working in the world. Alex, we're really excited about you joining us on Sunday morning at 9.30 on May 21st. If somebody was on the fence about going what could you say about what they could expect to hear uh, when you join us? Yeah, well, just like the book, I really want to focus in on the practical, the how. We know we should love our neighbors, but how are we going to do that, and how are we going to do it this summer? So we're going to come up with, each of us, our own individualized plan, if you will, of next steps of what we're going to do to love the people in the circles right around us. So it sounds like there's going to be some kind of work that we'll be doing during that event on our own, kind of doing some processing and guided facilitation that you're going to do. Yeah, we'll think, we'll think through together what it looks like to have the seven practices in the book play out in our own actual lives. If I want to love my actual neighbor, how does it look in my actual life? And then how can I add some intentionality this summer into loving my neighbor's this is a no pressure situation. It's a way to say, how is God already working and moving right around me? And how can I join him? 
So that's a little bit about what we can expect if we're listening to this episode in the week between when it airs and when you'll be here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, if we're listening to this after May 21st, how we could learn more about some of the work that you're doing, uh, how we can love our actual neighbor throughout the summer. Great. Well, you can go to my website, which is alexandrakirkendall.com. You just have to spell my name correctly. And you can download a 31-day challenge, which is 31 very easy ways to love people practically, no matter what community you live in. So that's something you could do on your own. Um, But I would say read the book, um, consider what does it mean to be a good listener, to ask good questions, who's right around in my my circle. Um, And I think those starting places will help you to start noticing who God is bringing in front of you, and you can uh, put into practice some of the practices. So one final question about that then. On an ongoing basis, what could we be praying for for ourselves if we wanted to go on this journey with Jesus and join him on his mission? I would say to ask God to give you eyes to see people, to notice, and the perseverance to slow down. Because we can't notice if we are running through life. We can't notice people's details of their pain and their joy and their daily experiences if we are rushing right past them. Micah, that was really great. I had no expectations for how this was gonna go and was really surprised by how well we connected with her and you know how simple she put living God's mission uh, into things that I do in my everyday life. Yeah, I also thought it was funny, side note behind the scenes, uh, she goes by Alexander, right? And that's the name of uh, author, the name that she puts on the book. We called her Alex the entire time and didn't realize until the very end that her full name is Alexander or like recognize it. She, did she introduce herself as Alex? I don't think so. But then I was like, oh, by the way, now that we've just done this whole podcast, can I call you Alex? And she laughed and said, yes, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, I think she said the only person who cares is my mom or yeah. something. <laughs> uh, what jumped out of you? So I was thinking just what we talk about here all the time, that how you, you put the lens of Jesus is going with me wherever I go. I think I'm I'm more motivated, perhaps than anything else, to to go out and uh, see the people that I interact with in, in a new light. So a neighbor that maybe I haven't talked to in a while, uh, I just went to out to lunch. The good times person, seeing them in in a way of like, hey, this is more than just a transaction. Uh, God, what are you up to in that moment? So for me, it was just kind of a reorienting process of. Uh, looking for the simple ways in which God can show up in ordinary conversations. It's funny you should mention that because I feel like we have a learning disability as disciples that like, it feels like we're kind of always starting over. Hmm. I'm never good enough. I don't share my faith enough. You know, the sort of deficit that we live in with a lot of shoulds. And uh, it's been interesting for me to kind of recalibrate my own strength in that not to say that i'm an expert but to say that i've i have the one thing i've always had and that's really the one thing i need and that's jesus and wherever i go he goes with me and i'm not starting over yeah i'm getting better than this probably incrementally slower than i can notice but uh i'm not starting over 
Well, we make it so difficult, right? It's like, oh, I better, I better read this book, even though we're going to give a book out. Right? <laughs> I realize the irony yeah. of that. Then you'll be better <laughs> then if you be read be the book and come to the thing. But the book is more practical. It's more like, hey, let's get back to the basics of this is how we see Jesus operating in Scripture. Maybe we should pay attention to that, you know? She told that story about the person she met at the checkout line in Walmart. Yeah. I had almost the same experience a week later uh, with a server at a restaurant. Uh, I noticed something that she was wearing and then just simply asked her about it and her whole world opened up to me. And I think because I heard Alex tell that story, aka Alexandra, uh, <laughs> I had like a new lens for a way to do that. Yeah. And, and because that person who I also know is a person of peace, which is a concept we should probably unpack at some point in one of these po- podcasts, because she's a, a person who you relate to and likes you and, and wants to serve you literally uh, as a server, but also because she is a, is a wonderful person, that impact was even greater. Yeah. So you know the person I'm talking about. Alex had an experience with somebody who was a stranger to her. Yeah. Uh, I already had a relationship with this person a little bit. And so it made it a little easier. Right. Person of peace is what you're right. saying. Yeah. And so I like the way Pastor Abel says it a lot of times that um, it's not an ad, living God's mission, going with Jesus. It's a lens for something that we're already doing in everyday life. Yeah. Well, on that, then practically speaking, one, one thing you can do, you've heard us say this before, May 21st, you can go live. It's at 930 in our own sanctuary. You can hear Alex in person, get some of these practical tools. You'll get a free copy of her book. If you can't make it, it's also going to be provided for you via live stream recording afterwards. You can check that out as we then, throughout the summer, encourage each other to put the lens of Jesus is going with me wherever I go. We're going to be capturing some stories and encouraging each other with those stories. So I would encourage you to spend some time checking that out and joining us on Mission with Jesus as we, practically speaking, love our neighbors throughout the summer. So you're saying, Micah, that we could attend the event on the 21st. Yep. Uh, we could watch that presentation, if we can't be there on the 21st, on our website. Yep. Uh, on that same website, there's a spot where you can share your story of something you're, you're seeing God do in your life and do through you uh, in the lives of the people around you on that same part of our website, oflc.net. Yeah. Man, lots of ways to connect and to grow. Another thing that you could do, uh, this conversation reminded me a lot of our second episode, I believe it was, with Philip and Sarah Winkler, who talked about a simple way they are connecting with their neighbors every August. The hundreds of people that show up in their driveway uh, over the course of a couple hours, they're just scooping ice cream for this thing that's grown and grown over the course of more than a decade. So check that episode out. That's another place you could go. I think it's episode two. Yeah, you're right. Uh, So (laughs) (laughs) awkward silence ending. I guess we're out of stuff to talk about. Yeah. For more stories just like this one, go to ourfatherlutheran.net slash stories.